Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Um, final words today, and as I have um, put together this message, this is going to sound, so there's a few things, there's, there's several of these uh, kind of thoughts that we have talked about before as a church, but I'm sort of stitching this all together. It's kind of like that quilt that you've got hanging up. Maybe your grandmother made a quilt, and it's kind of like all these messages, kind of some things are going to be some new things, and some things are going to be some things that we have talked about before as a church and have sort of journeyed together as a church. And so I just, I just want to, I'm just going to offer it now to the Lord as an offering to say, Lord, I just pray that this makes sense. Um, and so as we stitch this whole thing together, um, we'll just, we'll let the Lord, and I know he'll do a mighty work in and through it, and uh, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll speak uh, better than I could possibly ever speak. So this is uh, final words today, and what a joy and a privilege and a honor it has been to be your pastor, to walk with you through life's ups and downs. When we moved here, I went to Walmart after hours moving in, and I said, what on earth did I just do? <laughs> just, uh, uh, let's just disregard the Walmart thing. But, you know, like, what on earth would I just do? We had said, we were like, we went to Walmart after we moved in, and we were like, man, what on earth did I just do? Snowy day. Uh, I can remember that day well, the moving truck. I knew, I remember you if you were there that day. What a day that was, and uh, we knew two people in Lawrence County when we moved here, Dan and Sally Hires, uh, good people, and um, we have shed tears together. We have walked through life's darkest moments together. We have journeyed through many hills and many valleys. We have seen God do a very mighty work in this church, and we have witnessed the Spirit of God in more and ways none of us could have ever imagined through the life, life of this church. Um, marriages restored, relationships have been mended, lives have been transformed, and we've also had our fair share of challenges. I have stumbled over my fair share of blunders over the years, and some of you can say amen to that. And I've had my fair share of shortcomings, and some of you may be saying shortcomings is too nice of a word. Um, we've had our fair share of challenges together. Um, but above all, it has been my prayer since day one, the Lord would be exalted, he would be glorified in this place. And as I look upon this congregation today, I see pieces of my heart in the lives of everyone present today as I consider you and your family and the difficulties you've experienced. Countless hospital visits, worn out tires around the streets of Western Pennsylvania, 250, over 250 sermons, countless phone calls, cards, books, late nights, early mornings, all written across the pages of your stories and mine that we will forever share and I will never forget. And it just so happened that God found it fit to intertwine our stories and mind at just the right moment that he saw fit, a story woven together that only God could write through this church, and that we would be the kind of church that places the cross at the center of it all. And that when folks would rub shoulders with the people that call this church home, 
that the Lord would be exalted and revered and cherished, and that people would say they bear the cross of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, it's the Lord to be exalted and glorified and cherished, and that the cross be exalted. So I'll share some of what the Lord's laid upon my heart, but as well as some stitched together pieces over the years that we've shared together, content of today's sermon is going to resemble a patch work quilt, and I have never done a quilt in my life. So just bear with me if that illustration did not make sense, okay? But some of the ideas that we've shared here, hopefully this will make some sense as we just journey through this together. And you know, earlier this year, if you were here, early this year, we identified a word of the year, and that word rings true. That word will ring true long after I'm gone, but that word is seek. Seek. What would it look like for us to church to seek the heart of the Father this coming year? To run after the heart of God, to chase after heart, to seek after God's heart, and to fully seek His face and have a church committed to seek after God's ways in 2023. What would it look like to fully have everybody on every faith spectrum imaginable to commit to seeking after Jesus and to commit to this kingdom work here in Union Township in Lawrence County, to have all of us and all of our spiritual journeys and walks with Jesus, to have a church fully committed to that kind of transformation of disciples and that might relationships upon each other, our communities and our families and the way we live. If all of us were like, I want to chase after you, God. I want to seek after you. I want to seek after your way and you're the lost in the community. The way we treat our neighbors and all the things change as we seek the heart of the Father as we come to know God through seeking in his kingdom and his way. And we're reminded of this in Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, which means to seek his will and his way in this world and to place that fully above all else. And there's this temptation to go other ways and other methods and to seek the things of the world But the vision that Jesus has for all of us is to seek him above all else. And if we are to seek him above all else, his kingdom, his will, and his way, above everything else, we've got to lay aside the things that just are not of God, that just simply are just not important in this life. You see, in Mark 1, Jesus said, and Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance is that word, first word used by Jesus in the gospel of Mark. Repent is this ongoing turn. And that word means that we turn away from our own doing. We turn toward God and we know our lives can make an eternal significant impact. We heed true to that And know our lives make an eternal significance when we walk in obedience with him and in faith. And the more we move and repent and continue to believe, the more the more way, the more of kingdom life even revolves through us, in us, to the kingdom, to the community around us as well. And I pray in those words, sometimes we hear the word repent, we're like kind of like gonna cringe a little bit. But those words are life-giving, they invite a true sense of hope to them. Because our struggles with life can breathe with life again. We can find freedom from the bondage of addiction. The worst thing in your life does not have to be the last thing. And just because things get broke does not mean they have to stay that way. Something beautiful can be birthed out of them. It does not have to be this way. And you've been there many times in your own life where you've had to recall those words, it doesn't have to be this way. And maybe you're there. Maybe it's a marriage It's a relationship that's gone completely south. Maybe it's a family that's in disarray. Maybe it's an addiction brought down by the snares of the devil. It doesn't have to be this way. Let God write that on your heart today. You see, God always draws, church. Let this be your anthem today as you 
as you walk through this. God always draws the starting line for our new beginnings just where we are. And God's grace and mercy always meet us just where we are in life. Wherever life may find you this morning. And the best beginnings that we can be offered in life are the ones that are right now. And not what we'll be in five years or tomorrow, but today. And God offers this amazing good news in the right and the messiness and brokenness of hardships, of relationships. Because I know, church, we have walked through them together. And I know for many of you, you're walking through some pretty tough stuff. In all the messiness and the brokenness, we realize that God reaches out to us through Jesus Christ and he offers us the amazing good news of Jesus. And during Jesus' ministry, there's a time where he's about to leave them. He's about to predict his own death and his followers have followed him for years and have given up much to follow him. And they've placing their, if I placed my feet in the feet of the disciples and the shoes of the disciples, no doubt I would be confused and wondered what was going to happen next. If I gave up everything, followed a guy, and the guy said he was going to leave, I have no imagine, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wonder where this guy's going to go, right? And I'd be a bit confused and wonder what was happening. In the context there, man, the disciples are at an all-time low of discouragement, and in fact, some of them have fallen off. And now it's this very small band of disciples. And he did from doing hard, from doing miracles to doing hard teachings. And now the people have left and abandoned him. Jesus makes this foundational statement to Peter. And he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus will build his church, meaning nothing will stop Christ's church because death cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing will stop the church, and it's Jesus who holds all things together. And through the, sh- the shifting and seemingly chaotic world that you and I are living in right now, we hang on to the hope of Jesus Christ. And it's a gift. It's a gift to the church that, that Jesus would be the one to hold all things together. And it's a miracle that he does. And the promise of Jesus is that this is Christ's church. And culture may come and go. And we may think we may need the ideal circumstances. We may feel like the, the timing's just got to be exactly right to make an impact, to make a kingdom impact. But we have the promise and the authority of Jesus hang on to this church. I will build my church. He will build the church no matter what. He will build the church no matter what. And in the course of those centuries that have gone on, I just got to ask ourselves, the kingdom of God still remains. The kingdoms of God still remains. The kingdoms of this world have all fallen away. The Persian Empire, the Alexandrian Empire, the Greco-Roman Empire. You look upon world history and you're like, man, which kingdom is still alive today? Centuries upon centuries, the church of Jesus Christ has tried to been drowned out and destroyed. But the kingdom of God still remains today. And it's a miracle that all of us are here today because the kingdom of God still reigns and still rings true. And God began by calling his ordinary disciples who had little to nothing in common to this common shared mission. And thus began the world's greatest movement. And why we're all here today. Started with ordinary, 12 ordinary people. And it's grown into a force that you and I just cannot, it cannot ever be destroyed. Cannot ever be shaken. So the first kind of thing we're going to go to, we're going to go to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua 4, a foundational passage that's been uh, spoken to me and spoken rang true in my own heart and my own life. So we're going to go to Joshua chapter 4. Uh, we're going to begin there. We're going to kind of go a few places. But if you have your Bible, you can go there. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. And we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the Scriptures. Make sure you find a church that does the same thing. 
that preaches and teaches from the scriptures faithfully. Morgan, would you tell me which, what page number that is? Because I see you have it open in front of you. Sorry to put you on the spot. She's, she's going there now. So I apologize. Did not write that down today. But if you'd like to flip that Bible in front of you. 153? Okay, good deal. And it'll be on the screen behind me as well. We're in Joshua 4. So Joshua 4. Let me, let me share with you a little bit of what this means. Kind of like as we open this, hopefully this will kind of grasp you just a little bit, give you a little bit of a wider perspective of the book of Joshua and it comes in the Old Testament. And when mankind fell, there is the garden at the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of time. God called Abraham, a man named Abraham out of many nations. And he said, I'm going to bless you through your family, through your descendants and your offspring. I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to bless it through your offspring. And so thus became the Israelite family, and they bickered with God, and 400 years were enslaved in Egypt and went back and forth, and God taps Moses on the shoulder. Moses is one to coin the one to bring them out of it into the promised land, and he, and he gets almost there. And First recorded words of the book of Joshua in this point in time. It says, Moses, my servant is dead. And it's like God saying from the onset of the book of Joshua, Moses is gone. So you know what, Joshua? It is time for you to step up and you're going to lead these people into the promised land. And I mean, under Moses, the tabernacle and the ark was constructed and God led them through the Red Sea and came down from Sinai. And Moses says this and Moses that, Moses this, Moses that, and all, the, all across the book of Exodus. And Joshua stood bold and courageous faith. And the book of Joshua is how God trusted, is how God, is how Joshua trusted and boldly went forth in faith, conquering new territory. And how God's people are always, we are church, we are always on the offense and not on the defense. And the church can face boldly into the winds of the culture, leaving a legacy that just cannot be thwarted and will not be shaken behind it. Verse 1 through 9 says this, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had pointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go, over before the ark of the Lord your God into the ark of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are meant are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did just as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. In verse 19, skipping down, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had been taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. 
For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us and we had crossed over. He did this so all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear and know, fear the Lord your God. Little verse, there's a little kind of question there. What do these stones mean? When you see these rocks, remember, all those Israelites passing that day through the waters of the Jordan River, they would remember God's faithfulness from that day. They would recall and remember the faithfulness of God. Even when they had seemed lost and forgotten, God had not forgotten his people. The promise of walking through on dry ground was in front of them, and they placed those stones for them so they could walk through it, but they could remember the faithfulness of God, and they could courageously walk into the future that God had for them. You see, those Israelites didn't fully know the land, but they knew God had led them that far. And he knows that God is going to keep his promises, and he'll never back down from them. He will always keep his promises. He will not forsake us. He will not forget us. He will not abandon us. He will never forsake us. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We see even for those first disciples, a very oppressive Roman empire, even for that early church, which stood in the face of supreme opposition, including death knocking at their door, they stood against the wind. With courage and faith and with the Holy Spirit, they went forth in boldness and they proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. So today, church, we remember and we recall those stones in which everything God has already done and to mark the beginning of all that God's going to do here. We set up stones this very day so that future generations that will pass through this church will come to know what this day will also signify. And Many of us, may, and they may not fully understand what this might actually mean, but they have living stones right here in this present time, in this present church, to know what this day means. And you say, man, what kind of stones? What kind of stones does this actually mean? In 1 Peter 2, we're, we're told this, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, we and you are all living stones, each of us a part of the church, each of us a piece to how we see this church's future. And the picture here is that we are all various stones that make up a dwelling place. Not one big stone, but many pieces of stone interlocked and fortified together. And it's not that these individual stones lose their individual or uniqueness about them. It's only together do they achieve the structural purpose of the household of God. And each of us have unique gifts, and none of us are gifted in everything. And despite our differences, church, we become the dwelling place of God's Spirit and grow together in community together. And you see Joshua's story over and over again were repeated of this command from Joshua and there's not even like a you can't even doesn't even have like a permission for this he just command God commands him that God's people have got to be strong and courageous to claim new territory for the Lord and four times we're told that in the first chapter and I think Joshua just drills that in his head be strong and courageous and we look back on God's faithfulness together and heed God's promises to heed not merely, we don't heed these words as words that just fade away, 
we are reminded of this consistently in our head and our heart. Be strong and courageous, church. Be strong and courageous. And there's a season up ahead when all of us are going to have to hold very tightly to this command to be strong and courageous. And Joshua did not know what the promised land fully looked like ahead of him. But he knew the one who was going to be able to lead him there. He knew the one who was going to lead them. And church, there are still people to be reached in Union Township. There are still people, plenty of lost people to find in Lawrence County. And there are definitely still people to be found in the city of Newcastle. There are plenty of people, lost people, to be found in Lawrence, Lawrence County. There are still rivers to be crossed. New territory to be had through the ministry of this church and to the people who call this place their home. There are folks with you, and you are the church. We're reminded of this. You are the church. Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Take time to look at these stones, your stones, and let the memories flood within yourself and to the lives of your people, reminding them of who God is, who you are, who they are, whence you've come, why you're here, and where you're going. Because this church is going somewhere. God is not through with this story here. There's more, and why do you say that, Pastor? Because there's more of his kingdom to come in your life. More of his kingdom to come in Newcastle. And more of Washington Union to experience God's kingdom in Union Township and in Newcastle because the Lord has not called us home yet. <laughs> he has not returned yet, so the work is still to be done. And this very day, all of us are participants of this church's present and its future. And we are the people with the stories, the ones whom God has chosen and trusted with a mission to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God to this particular unique corner of the earth. There is a reason for this church being presently where it is. And there's an exciting future in store for this place. God is going to be the one to write it. And we pause today and we recall the stones of all of the encouragers and prayer warriors, all the folks, thank you, who've left a legacy and praying for even me and for you right now in this moment. All of us in the pews here today, all of us who have shed tears together over the years, all of us who have persevered through community life, to all the folks who've gone on to glory through the ministry of this church and who are cheering us on. And we stand on your shoulders, I stand on your prayers. The Lord is faithful and he will surely do it. Because the kingdom of God, church, comes through ordinary disciples. Ordinary stay-at-home moms, ordinary grocery store clerks, ordinary students. And through all the steel mill workers, stay-at-home mothers and fathers. I echo these words from John of Patmos in Revelation. I love the book of Revelation. John of Patmos was in his 80s, and he pens the last book of the Bible. It's called Revelation. And John gets visions from Jesus Christ that bring comfort to churches that are experiencing extreme persecution 
all across modern-day Turkey. And at the time in the late 90s, Christians had been suffering extreme persecution under the Roman Emperor Nero, and he'd turn on the heat upon anyone who called himself a follower of Jesus. Some 40,000 Christians were killed, many fed lions. And John was shipped off to this island called Patmos off the coast. And John sees visions from the Lord. He sits on a pile of rocks. And he tells those seven churches, he says, I know your works. I know your afflictions. I know where you live. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know the slander that's brought against you. I know your love and your faith and your perseverance. I know you've got little strength, but you've kept my word. And Jesus is right in the middle of his churches. He's not passive, but he's right in the middle of them. The risen living Jesus lives in the center of his church by his spirit. We're told four times in Revelation he's coming soon. Behold, I am coming quickly, not will come, but is coming quickly. And the process is happening at this very moment. Jesus Christ is not passively sitting on his throne, anticipating some future date when he gets up and he moves toward us. He's moving toward us even now. And he's coming. And until that day, we will not be passive participants. We will be faithful to the kingdom in our corner of the earth. And I pray the folks that call this place home will pursue God deeply, love neighbors more fully, serve other people generously, bringing forth the kingdom in our township, and may God do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, and part more rivers and cross new territories and climb more mountains. And as God continues to write the story of the kingdom of God through the glory and praise of God by means of the ministry of this church. I want to say thank you to just some thank yous. First of all, I want to thank you to my wife because nobody knows the shoulder and the burden of ministry that she carries. And uh, thank you for walking with me through life's hardest and deepest valleys. Long days, sleepless nights, throwing spaghetti on the wall and seeing if it'll stick. Not literally. <laughs> we don't do that. Um, like, that's a mess in the parsonage to do, but no, we did not do that. <laughs> Like, there's a trustee there, like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, there were times where we really didn't know what we were doing, and we were just seeing if something would stick on the wall. And um, thank you for your willingness to take on this responsibility because you chose to, and you didn't have to, but you did. And if only I saw the darkness, um, you pointed me to the light. So it's not an overstatement, but an understatement to say that this ministry would not have been possible without you. I want to say thank you as I reflect on this time here, because there are so many people to thank and so many thanks to give. We have very many unforgettable experiences that I will treasure forever. And I appreciate you taking a chance on a fairly young guy and I look on upon this congregation here today, and I see many answered prayers, many healed marriages, restored families, many people who've sought forgiveness with one another, and I pray that continues. It takes a village to do so. 
I cherish you for allowing me to be a part of your life. Thank you for embracing the Word of God as it really is and how you've embraced the Word of God as I've done my very best to unpack that. And thank you for embracing the call to pray for me so faithfully. And I'm convinced I'm still standing here today based on the shoulders of so many people praying for me. And it takes a village. And it takes a praying church based on faithful people to uphold a shepherd. And I thank you immensely for doing that. Thank you for being a faithful church. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's words to the Ephesian church when and he departed the Ephesians. And he spent three years in that city establishing the church there. And we know the story he was, uh, maybe you don't know it, but his Paul's ministry in Ephesus was very difficult. There was a riot provoked by the manufacturers of the idols of the goddess of Artemis. And there are hundreds and countless other instances of opposition and his time in Ephesus and persecution that we just do not know about that's not recorded. But there is this curious but undecipherable statement which Paul in his first epistle to the Corinthians, which he most likely would write during his stay in Ephesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 15 verse 32 says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Thanks to Luke writing things down, the book of Acts gives us clues as to Paul's farewell to the Ephesians. Imprisonment, abandonment, beatings, hardship did not deter Paul from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ephesus. In Acts 20, 24, it says this, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Church, continue to be a people marked by God's amazing grace. And that includes being a people marked by forgiveness. Grace is extended when forgiveness is extended. More and more individuals in need of the grace of God. And Paul knew what it meant for all of us who are heir, for our Christ followers, that our purpose is to be a living witness to the finished work of Christ on the cross. And he says to the Philippians, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for which, God, for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. At 7 o'clock on October 20th, 1968, a few thousand spectators remained at the Mexico City Olympic Stadium, and it was cool and it was dark. The last of the marathon runners, each were exhausted, were looking and carried off the first aid stations. More than an hour earlier, Mamo Waldi of Ethiopia, looking fresh as when he started the race, crossed the finish line, the winner of the 26-mile, 385-yard event. And as the remaining spectators prepared to leave, those sitting near the marathon gates suddenly heard the sound of sirens and police whistles, and all eyes turned toward the gate. A lone figure wearing the colors of Tanzania entered the stadium. And his name was John Stephen Aquary, and he was the last man to finish the marathon. 
His leg was bloodied and bandaged, severely injured in a fall, and he grimaced with every step, and he hobbled around the 400-meter track. And the spectators rose and applauded him as if he were the winner. And after crossing the finish line, Ackroy slowly walked off the field without turning to the cheering crowds. In view of his injury, having no chance of winning a medal, someone asked him why he had not quit. And he said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, we read this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also who have loved his appearing. And there's this quote from David Brainerd, which is especially appropriate when talking about facing harm as a missionary. And remember that he had also died at a very, very young age. He said, all my desire was the conversion of the heathen. I cared not how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls to Christ. I declare now that I am dying, I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. And with her eyes fixed on Jesus and constrained by the Spirit, David Brainerd and the Apostle Paul could face whatever hardships God saw fit to bring into their lives. And it's a race that we are all running and one day we will all complete. But we've got to finish well. And we will all finish the race well. This is also a time in the race of this particular time in the church life. This is a time in the race of the church and the race of this season of life to get involved. And this is a time in church life to not be on the sidelines. It's a time to run the race just as hard in this next season. And it's a time, as the coach would say to his players on the sideline, to get in the game and to be involved, to get the uniform dirty. And it's not a time to ever hiatus the race. It's a time to run with endurance the race set out before you. Boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians 6 verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And as one poem that I've really hung on to in my, in my own life, says only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Church, boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't waste your life. Boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Boast only in the cross. Amen? Amen. Team, will you uh, come on up here as we sing? But I want the church, would you stand, church, as well? As we read this last, could we read this last slide together? If we've got that slide pulled up, let's read this together and speak this over who we are as a congregation and who you'll always be as a church. So if you'll say this with me, but you, W-U-A-C, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you, W-U-A-C, may declare the praises of him 
who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. 